Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow us and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end when we're also going to share some exciting offers and opportunities. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Today's program is really important and it's, and it's significant because of what just happened in the news this past week with President Biden's visit to Israel and Saudi Arabia. And we're going to unpack that visit with an expert today who's, who's got a tremendous vision and tremendous understanding of uh, both Middle Eastern politics and military uh, components. And what's significant about President Biden's, Biden's visit and why we need to be following that in the news and looking at it for the days to come. It is a pleasure. I, Elliot, I've lost count how many times we've had you on a, oh, on a, on a webinar or a podcast, sometimes alone, sometimes together. Once the first time you were standing in for REA Lightstone, who we thought was going off to Washington with regarding some imminent war in Iran and it ended up we were having peace breaking out two years ago, which was a fabulous little surprise. Uh, Major Elliot Chodoff is a political and military analyst specializing in the Middle East and the global war on terror and the intersection of these. He is a decorated officer, a respected speaker, and frequently published commentator in a wide range of publications and news sites. Personally, you'll find if you don't know Elliot, if you know Elliot, you know this is true. And if you don't yet know Elliot, you will find this to be the case. He is as warm and outgoing and and clever as he is thoughtful and serious. Elliot is the co, it's sincere, Elliot. Um, Elliot is the co-founder of Israel Strategic Solutions. He served in the IDF for nearly 35 years. And from 2002 to 2011 was the co-director of the Fieldcraft Project of the Office of Chief of Doctrine infantry and paratroops. He also served as chief of staff, uh, deputy chief of staff for the population of the home front command's northern region and is currently population officer of the northern command. I don't know what all that means, but I know it's significant. That's okay. Neither also, do I. Well, but we also know that the northern command means, uh, means relations, uh, military uh, things relating to our neighbors in Lebanon and Syria. And that is a, um, uh, a, a consistently hot, uh, region. Um, Elliot served on, on active duty during the 2006 Lebanon War and in Gush Katif during the 2005 Gaza disengagement. He was also a member of the rescue team in the 2000, following the 2004 bombing of the Taba Hilton and as a, a member of the rescue team and uh, security in the 2010 Carmel Far- Forest Fire. Elliot is a native of New York. He moved to Israel in 1983. So we're coming on your 40th anniversary Next year, we'll have to find an appropriate way to celebrate that. Um, Elliot received his BA and BS from SUNY Stony Brook and his 
master's degree in sociology from the University of Chicago. What's also very interesting, and I really am excited to, when Elliot finally finishes his PhD in international relations at Bar-Ilan University, because that will open doors to a lot of uh, unique publications that Elliot, uh, and we, we know, has been working on through the course of his uh, his degree. Um, he lives in the Galilee. He is a licensed tour guide and leads educational tours throughout Israel. Elliot, I don't feel that that's a sufficient introduction. Too much. Too much. Too much, I know. But uh, but but it is still nonetheless uh, a, a real pleasure to have you back. And I want to jump in, but I want to jump in on a macro basis. We're here to talk yes. about unpacking President's, President Biden's visit to the Middle East. Yes. You've been following the news. I've been following the news. I suspect you read a little bit more in depth about it. Before we get into all of the details, I want to ask you to give him a grade. Give him a grade, not him personally, but a grade the visit, the visit to Israel, and then the visit to Saudi Arabia. And then we're going to talk about why those, why you're rating him such. Okay. So first of all, um, if I have to give him an overall grade from an Israeli perspective, I'll give him a B. Um, from an American perspective, I will give him a B plus. Um, but, or and maybe, and I think you have to break down the visit into three categories. And this is not uniquely President Biden. I think anytime an American president goes abroad, and certainly to Israel, and we're, we're a, um, I don't know if unique, but certainly a special case. I think you have to look at the visit from at least three sort of channels or perspectives. One is the personal. In other words, the individual, in this case, Joe Biden, the president of the United States as the head of state, head of government of arguably perhaps fading a bit, but still the world's only real superpower. Correct. And third, the head of his party, in this case, the Democratic Party in the United States. And all of those three have to be looked at in, in, a, in a kind of interlocking fashion. And I want to give you an example of what I mean by that from other cases, because you can have conflicts between those three home statuses, if you will. This was Joe Biden's 10th trip to Israel. Yes. His first as, a, as president, but his 10th overall. In other words, this is a man who can legitimately argue is, is pro-Israel. Now, I want to throw a caveat into that as an Israeli, and that is sometimes people who are pro-Israel can do all sorts of things that they think are good for Israel that we uh, don't think are good for Israel. Good. And I'll give you the classic example of that was Henry Kissinger during the Yom Kippur War. Okay. Okay. Who believed in his view of the world that it would, would be a good thing. And he said it outright. Let the Israelis bleed a bit, which is, you, you have to know Kissinger to appreciate what, what he's saying. He's above this business of people dying, that's that's too too low. Well he's a hundred years old. You gotta give him some credit. Oh, fair enough. Okay. But absolutely deep 
pro-Israel in terms of his attitude toward the state of Israel. Yes. Okay. Um, on the flip side of that, you have the guy who actually saves Israel in that picture, Richard Nixon, who was a renowned anti-Semite. Correct. Okay. So there, there are complexities here that we have to be cognizant of when we do a breakdown of a trip like President Biden's. So starting on the personal, we've got somebody who is personally pro-Israel, who gets up in front of the world and says, you don't have to be Jewish to be Zionist. Yeah, great statement. And remember, this is as the head of a party that has a branch that is anti-Zionist by declaration. I'm yep. talking about the progressive wing, the squad, and all of those people. So he's telling his party something. We're also talking about an America in which on college campuses today, they are referring to Zionism, not just as, as racism and apartheid. We're way past that. Zionism is, is the ultimate to be canceled Nazi-like ideology in many places of the United States. Yes. So so for him to get up and make that statement is from a personal perspective and from a party perspective, and leaving now the president as president for a moment, is an enormous thing from in in positive terms for Israel. He's also representing the United States. And as the representative of the United States, he is putting forth American policy, certainly the policy of democratic presidents, and that includes belief that the two-state solution is the best answer. I don't think he's saying that from an anti-Israel perspective. I'll even go so far as to say that there's a theoretically legitimate statement in there. In other words, the underpinnings of the idea of the two-state solution were based on premises that many of us, and I'm one of them, think have failed. Correct. But the idea of the premise that two states living side by side in, in, in peace and harmony uh, is not such a bad idea. The fact that we know who the other side is, making that impractical, doesn't make that make the idea any less theoretically attractive. The, the American concept. Fair. You know what? I don't even think it's that utopian. It's it's optimistic. The idea that that a let's put it it's unrealistic because it's based on the idea that there's going to be a Palestinian leadership that's going to care more for its people than it does for its own personal interests, political interests, ideological interests. If you go back to Golda Meir, there'll be peace when the Arabs love their children more than they hate us. Correct. Um, but you know what? If they love their children, that's not you from, from where we're sitting. That's not utopian. That's normal. Okay. So, so I don't look upon his statements on the two state solution as anti Israel. Uh, they're not realistic. The good news in it is that there was no arm twisting or what I call the or else yeah. in those statements. Right. Okay. One of the things that I always say about America in general and, and, and global statements in general, including the UN, uh, 
they can criticize and condemn all they want. As long as the statement doesn't end with the words or else, it's all just words. Correct. Okay. So there was that element. Where he loses points, as far as I'm concerned, is on the Iran issue. Okay. Well, we're going to get into that. Um, and here, more in terms of practicality and style and less in terms of, I don't think he thinks that Iran is, is, is a good place. But I think he really believes that you can negotiate with these people. Now, that's a dangerous error. And it comes from his former boss and that whole entourage, Kerry, you know, Obama, Kerry, and friends. Built into the thinking of the Democratic Party, I'm going to call it liberal thinking, not progressive. Liberal thinking, uh, if we give them money, and I mean the Palestinians, we will tie them to us. It goes, this is, goes back many, many years, and not, not just with the Palestinians. Um, he has, his administration has essentially abrogated the Taylor Force Act, which is American law, not policy, Correct. law. Correct. That money should not be given to the Palestinian Authority as long as it's paying the so-called pay-for-slay policy. Uh, giving money to UNRWA, this, this was also a very interesting one, UNRWA being the UN, what's called the Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees, um, notoriously anti-Semitic, notoriously infiltrated on, on a very high level by members of terrorist organizations, uh, just came out with a series of, of school books that include things like killing Jews as a hobby, yes. uh, you know, slit their throats and that sort of thing. And in this America, not just, just Biden, America lives in a fantasy world that's exemplified by the American ambassador to the UN a few weeks ago testifying before Congress and saying, well, we're, you know, anti-Semitism is an absolute, absolute red line. We're not going to cross that line. But UNRWA is working to combat anti-Semitism in its ranks. Okay. Okay. Now, I really like to know who her drug dealer is. She's getting <laughs> some really good stuff. Okay. But this is the same American government that thought that the Taliban was going to become Western liberal Democrats when they took over Kabul. Yeah. Uh, so here again, it's dangerous, in my opinion. But it's not dangerous because it is inherently anti-Israel. Okay, that's a great distinction. That's, a, that, that, that's an important distinction. And, and, and the point is not to re-undo uh, I, I think actually your your analogy between uh, with, with Kissinger and with with Nixon was a great one because um, because, because I don't know if, if Nixon was pro Israel or, or anti Israel he certainly was an anti Semite but he understood the role of Israel at yes. least at the time in in the Axis uh, Cold War and, uh, and, sure. and played that reasonably well. By the way, Truman was an anti Semite. True, correct. So all I'm saying is that. That there are complexities here. It's very easy to Good. hang on to one aspect of it, okay, and okay. And, and 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 spin from there. Let me just add so, one other one other point of, of of sensitivity that uh, that I give him points for. 
Good. He met with Netanyahu for half an hour. Yeah. Now, Obama didn't want to meet with Netanyahu and Netanyahu was prime minister. Correct. Here, Biden comes to Israel and he meets with the head of the opposition. He knows there's an election process going on. And he doesn't shun. He could very easily have said, you know what? I'm not meeting with this guy. He doesn't hold any position. He knows that there's a possibility. I don't want to go into predictions of Israeli elections. Right. Uh, Okay. But there's a possibility that during his term of office, he's going to have to deal with a prime minister, Netanyahu. Correct. Uh, He does not he does not get into the Israeli political election system. He plays it very, very balanced within the Israeli domestic political scene. And for that, I give him high grades. Good. I mean, I'm glad you're doing that. Um, I, I, I think it's pretty standard in most instances when you have a, a opposition leader in Israel and other other parliamentary democracies that a head of state or other leaders meet with an opposition leader. Yes. But, but your, point, your point is well taken. Uh, first of all, there wasn't some gr- such great relations, and also, and also uh, the fact that he could have um, President Biden. Uh, President Biden could see a Prime Minister Netanyahu again in his term. Excellent points, and I think the grades you've given him are solid. You know, B, B plus are solid, uh, positive grades. He's certainly not failing. No. Okay. Very good. When you think of Jerusalem, you probably think of its historic and biblical sites. Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. You will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Let's jump into some of the details. I, I bulleted out four or five. Let's see how much time we have to get through through them. The first, and only because today um, in Israel was, and in the Western Hemisphere still is, the significant day that it is, a fast day, right? Yes. Where we, we, we were fasting because almost 2,000 years ago, yesterday on the Jewish calendar was the day that the Romans breached the walls of Jerusalem and eventually three weeks later destroyed all of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and sent uh, Jews into exile uh, again. And, and but by by the way, let me just throw this in as a as a piece of trivia. Go ahead. On this Jewish date in 1776, America declared independence. Thank you for that. Okay, I didn't know that. That's excellent. July 4th, 76 was the 17th of Tammuz. Awesome. Very nice. Thank you for that. I didn't know that. Um. The, the, anyway, the, you you alluded to some of it. There was a lot of symbolism in Biden's visit. Yes. Some of the things you didn't allude to. His, uh, some of his comments, but it was a very warm, friendly arrival. Immediately after that, he went to uh, meet with Holocaust survivors and got down yes. on his knees and held their hands. Yes. And, and he received the Presidential Medal of Honor, not just as a, it appeared not just as a, um, as a, as a protocol thing to do, but genuine no. act of friendship and respect. Um, there were, but there was p- criticism 
of one particular element, and I'm mentioning this in the context of Jerusalem. On Friday, he went to visit a hospital in eastern Jerusalem, decided yes. not to Augusta let Victoria. any, right, Augusta Victoria, decided not to let any Israeli officials come along. And that morning, someone decided to take the American flag that was, the Israeli flag that was balancing the American flag off his and put a second American flag on, symbolizing to a degree that even that part of Jerusalem where he was going was not sovereign Israeli territory, even though they didn't ask suddenly to have the Palestinian Authority provide security for that element of the the, uh, visit. So having said all of this, looking at the visit, looking specifically at Jerusalem on this day that some some of our uh, viewers now are are actually fasting still because of the day, it, 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 there was. Do you see a, any significant or dangerous undermining of Israel's authority in Jerusalem, and how might that play out in the next six months as Israel has an election and begins to form a government and with the U.S. midterm? So first of all, the, the short answer is yes, there is an undermining. Um, it was also very typically American. And I, I would say that there are, um, there are atypical and there are typical. He took off the Israeli flag, but did not replace it with a Palestinian flag. Correct. There was a, there, there was a lot of, of wishy-washy waffling. Right. That went in there, which I'm not comfortable with. I, I, I want to be very clear on, but I look at it as this is where America is. The Trump administration was very, very clear. The Obama administration was very clear in the opposite direction. The Biden administration is somewhere between the two, and I would argue closer to the Trump side than to the Obama side. Okay. In other in other words, he's they're they're not closing the embassy. Yes, they're jockeying to open this consulate that was closed. Um, they're making a lot of noise about it, but they know very well that Israel has to approve it. Correct. And unless it's happening very, 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 very quietly behind the scenes, there's not a lot of arm twisting going on on this. Uh, I, you know what? I, I want to go back one step on, on on something because I think it's very important for us to sort of have this as a foundational point. The United States of America is today critical to Israel's defense and security. Correct. Okay. Now, can Israel live without America? My personal belief is yes. But it would not be easy. It would be extremely dangerous, extremely precarious, and for a whole bunch of reasons. We need to look at America, first and foremost, as a solid, foundational friend and ally. And everything that that has happened in this visit is, call it icing on the cake, not deep down fundamental. Correct. Okay. So, yes, taking off the Israeli flag was not at all to my liking. It was a questioning of Israeli sovereignty. It was a sop to the Palestinians, who, by the way, were not very happy about the visit. The Palestinians 
in general did not get what they wanted from Biden. Right. Yes, he shook that. Okay. Yes, he shook his head while Abu Mazen berated the Zionists and the occupation and the occupation of the Zionists and the Zionists and the occupation. But aside from the UNRWA money, which he gave, he announced even before the visit, and the and and the promise for money to the hospital to Augusta Victoria, uh, they didn't get anything out of it. Correct. So there was symbolism. It was not extreme. Now I'll come back. If he had put a Palestinian flag up instead of the Israeli, yes. that would have been a slap, and it would have been a Correct. dangerous one. Correct. This was more a yeah, try to slide under it and get away with it. It's by the way, I, I looked at that and I thought, wow, that's awfully clever that someone really thought of that. Right. Um, because here again, keeping in mind the American position, I'm talking about this administration's position, Abu Mazen and the PA are their partners in discussion in the peace process. They don't want to slap them. And this is partly, again, Biden personality. It's partly Democratic Party policy. Yeah. And, and it is now American policy under the Biden administration. So just to reiterate, I didn't like it, but I didn't think it was the earth-shattering, horrendous statement okay. uh, that, it, that it could have been. Do you but see? Go ahead. Finish. He did say things that, that were very concerning. Um, seeing the future Palestinian state along the 1967 lines. Right. Uh, that train has left the station a long time ago. Right. And, and giving, giving Abu Mazen hope that they can actually get to that is a mistake because it's just not happening. Uh, that's where I give them the B, B, B plus okay. as opposed to the A, A minus. Okay. Okay. So some people are making comments that he doesn't deserve the BEB plus, but you're the guest today and we'll have other people give their evaluations, which okay. I actually, I welcome. Um, so, so, and, and my sense is because we have an election coming up, because if Biden had his choice, even though he wasn't, it didn't appear to be, um, strongly, uh, leaning or, or advocating as Bill Clinton did and others, uh, one way Trump did for Netanyahu. Um, my sense is Biden, of course, would not would rather not have Bibi uh, Netanyahu back as prime minister and be very happy with a Yair Lapid or a Benny Gantz or someone else. And therefore, in the next couple of months, there's uh, six months, there's not likely to be any kind of pressure on Jerusalem or, or anything because that he, because he has to know that that will affect the, the four. Do you, do you think anything different on that? No, I, I think beyond that, first of all, it's my personal belief. And, I, and you know, I don't do prophecy, but I'm going to go out on, on a bit of a limb on this one. Oh, I, think, I, listen. Think, I think Yair Lapid is going to be prime minister for quite a while. Okay, that's interesting. Um, because Not, not because, because he's elected, but because no, the because that's exactly yeah. right. right. Okay, he remains prime minister until the Knesset seats a new government. Yeah. And... Nothing shocks me in Israeli politics, but I would be surprised if this election leads to the, the, the seating of a government. Um, unless all sorts of things happen, Netanyahu steps out. Or, that's not our topic for tonight. Not for um, tonight. But 
On the face of it, from where we're sitting at the moment, I think we're going to see a prime minister repeat for quite a while. Okay. Okay. That that's number one. Number two, uh, I don't see American pressure on Israel to come to terms with Abu Mazen and the Palestinians under current circumstances. Well, Biden said that on at least two occasions. Right. Okay. Abu Mazen has to come around and he's not going to. Or be replaced. Okay. At 84 years old, that might happen. That's right. But not necessarily by somebody more pliant. By by answering to the higher authority. No, he may. He but may. but the person the person who replaces him ah. is not necessarily going to be more pliable no. than than Abu Mazen. More likely, he'll be less. At least at the outset, if he wants to be alive. Exactly. Correct. So I don't I don't see that we're going into any serious negotiating stage of core issues. Okay. In the coming months, or even even year. Which also means, depending on how the presidential election in the U.S. plays out, we can see getting far too close to the U.S. presidential election for any serious activity or pressure coming up. So this may be a can that's just... And by the way, I think we never discussed this before. It's not terribly relevant, but it's an interesting model. I think that Trump got stuck in the same situation because he kept wanting to unveil the deal of the century. That's right. He kept having had elections. That's right. And, and he didn't have the opportunity to do so, and then finally did. And and from the Palestinian point of view, you know, again, this is this is a whole topic in and of itself, and I don't want to go into it terribly deeply here. Okay. But, but a common error that's made in the United States and, and in certain parts of, of the Israeli political spectrum, the deal is very, very obvious if the premises, I mentioned these, those earlier, if the premises were true. And this comes up in, in my discussions with students, it comes up in my discussions with groups, it comes up in my discussions sometimes in consulting that I do, uh, where somebody starts a sentence with the words, if I were them, I would. At that point, I cut them off and say, but you're not them. They don't, they aren't thinking the way you think. And the, 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 the parameters of a deal are pretty obvious to anybody on the assumption that the other side wants a deal. Yeah. That assumption is not necessarily a good one. Well said. So, okay. so all of this talk is, is, as far as I'm concerned, is, is a lot of fluff in the background. All right. So, so, so we, the, so the jury's out on that. We've discussed Jerusalem a little bit. You mentioned uh, grading part part of your grade of B of a B from from an Israeli perspective relating to Iran. So let's talk yes. about Iran. Okay. He, Biden spoke very clearly. He he didn't he he Correct. didn't stutter. He didn't he didn't miss the cue. He, he was very 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 clear about not letting Iran get to nuclear weapons and, and, and well-publicized here, at least, was his statement on Israeli TV that was apparently done in the White House before he departed that he, he would use military option, an option with Iran as a last resort. Now, right. a lot of people have analyzed his statements in light of his desire, to, we t- talked about it, to bring Iran back into a nuclear agreement like the one that was crafted by his former boss, 
which certainly didn't stop the Iranians. And he and 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 interesting. I thought there was an interesting scenario. Uh, at least once, maybe a couple of times, Biden said that he he felt that diplomacy was the best solution. But on the state on the same platform with um, with uh, Prime Minister Lapid, uh, the Prime Minister contradicted him publicly right there yes. and, and said that diplomacy is not a viable solution. Correct. So so there was certainly an optimistic tone with Biden seeming to say the right things, but there's not a lot of wiggle room. And one of the things that is the, the, all, the big question is, okay, so when, when is military, uh, a military option, something that one has to, to take account before I go into some, some questions that I had posed, um, Gordon Middleton posted a great question, uh, regarding why do we think that the Iranians waited until the day after Biden's visit to announce to make the announce. nuclear capability, which is, which is, I didn't think about that. It's a very good observation. But did you see any, uh, just on the issue of Iran, you, you didn't think that he did so well. Uh, you, you downgraded him as a, as, a, as a consequence of that. Was there anything that was concrete as far as Biden shifting tone or substance, or if not shifting, just establishing something? No, he didn't shift. He waffled. Okay. Um, and, I, and I do think that the timing, the Iranian timing is deliberate because they waited until he was done and then they slapped him. It was, it, it was in, in boxing terms or, or, you know, in football terms, it was, a, it was a hit after the whistle. Okay. Okay. If he had still been here or had they done it, you know, made the statement four days ago, it would have been an in-his-face which would have allowed Lapid and others to turn to him and say, but Mr. President, yeah. here it is. Here it is. They waited until he could no longer do that here. And then they threw it in his face. And then, and when he goes back to the White House and he's being asked questions about fist bumping the, the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, which he says is a stupid question. Right. Um, the idea... I can sympathize with a perspective that says diplomacy is a better option than military. You've said that before. Okay. I mean, this is, this is the ABC of Clausewitz's statement in the, in, on war, that war is an extension of policy by additional means. First policy, then war. Yeah. And I, and I'll add, Eliot's commentary, since I've been teaching Clausewitz for, for about 30 years, war is a consequence of a failure in policy. Okay. Okay, because unless you're a lunatic, and there have been a few in history, you don't want war. You want to achieve your objectives without war. And this is, like, go back to Sun Tzu, the Chinese strategist of 2,500 years ago, ago the, great, the best victory is of the battle that you don't have to fight. Okay, very nice. So I can sympathize with the approach. The problem is that we're way, 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 way too late in the game to say that this is our only option. And the the on the table, as it's called, military option has got to be part of the diplomacy. Diplomacy is carrot and stick. What's missing from the American perspective on this is the stick. Yeah. Okay. And. This is 
this goes back a number of administrations. By the way, with all due respect to, to Donald Trump, he didn't strike the Iranians either. No, he 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 abrogated the the deal, the, the agreement. But that but okay, he, but he increased, but, increased but, sanctions, right? But anybody who knows anything about sanctions knows that the sanctions were not going to work. Okay, they put pressure; they cause aggravation. They're not going to stop the Iranians. In fact, they haven't stopped the Iranians. Certainly not not a a, a, a regime like the Iranians. No, some, some other. No. Regime, if you Maybe. talk about the Soviets and sanctions and, and, and in the day that might have worked, you know, that, that was part of it. Okay, excellent. Uh, the okay. sanctions haven't, haven't had much effect on Putin in the Ukraine, in Ukraine. Also, good point. Okay. Um, so, l- l- yeah. l- l- let me ask you so, w- w- the one thing I didn't mention, and I think I, I don't know that everyone listening knows, but, but I think it's a very reasonable intuition, more than intuition, fact that part of the reason that Israel and the the Gulf Arab states and others have come as close as they have in the last decade or so is because Obama emboldened the the Iranians and that frightened the hell out of all of us together. And we have that shared common enemy and threat. So my question to you is, do you think out of the Biden visit, which both Israel and the Saudi and and the Saudi component, where that's where Iran is a big issue, can, can Israel and the Sunni Arab world rely any more or any differently on the U.S. now? I don't think the U.S. should be relied upon. I don't think it ever could be relied upon. It was, it's, it's a, a, a potential supporter. It always has been, uh, but not a consistent one, not for Israel, not for the Arabs, not for any of its other allies. And this is basic international relations. America does what it considers to be in its own best interest at the time that it happens. Okay. And here I'll, I will add another aspect to it. And this, this is, I think, a reality of democracies, not explicitly the U.S. Democracies are notoriously poor at long-term strategy. Ah, excellent. Because, and, and we, we've talked through and around this a couple of times in, in our discussion. And I'll, I'll put it in American terms because it, it's sort of easier to, to, to put into boundaries. If the world comes to an end every four years, it's really hard to think strategically. Yeah. Okay. Bashar Assad in Damascus has a 20-year plan. Correct. Joe Biden can't have a 20-year plan. Correct. And I don't mean because of his age. Nope. Because he has, at most, he has two four-year terms. That's right. That's under the best of circumstances. From, and from he has a great vice president who succeeds him. Then maybe a then maybe a, maybe. a, a third. Right. right, right. But but let's narrow it. He doesn't have a second term if he doesn't deliver in his first term. Well, that's on on, on a whole host of levels. My, that's my point. In other words. Strategic thinking, and this is not just military, it's political, it's economic, it's business. Strategic thinking means very often showing a loss in the early stages in order to make a greater gain in the later stages. Ah, very nice. Very nice. You can't do that when your first test is two years after you come into office 
this November, the midterms. Yes. Your second test is two years after that for re-election. Correct. You, and especially in the modern 24-hour media news world, what I call the CNN phenomenon, and I mean the phenomenon, not the station. Because they established it. Yeah. It's, I mean, CNN was, was the creator, but now yeah. it's everybody. Uh, you're measured in real time and moments. Yes. Not in weeks or months. It's what do your polls show this afternoon? Correct. Correct. And under those circumstances, it's extremely difficult for a leader of a democracy to think long-term strategy. Putin thinks long-term strategy. Yeah. Whether he succeeds or not is a whole different question. Americans can't. Okay. And neither can Israelis for that so matter. If you're a parent like me, you know there are plenty of reasons to worry about our kids. But there's one particular issue with enormous consequences for our kids that many are uncomfortable discussing, online pornography. As kids spend more and more time online, they're being exposed to explicit sexual content at record rates. By age 13, many are exposed to graphic sexual content that has serious lasting consequences even though research links pornography exposure to worse mental health, unstable relationships, and other issues, the big tech companies are doing almost nothing to stop it. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Canopy, a new partner of ours that's helping parents take back control over what their kids see online. Canopy uses state-of-the-art artificial intelligence developed here in Israel to make the internet safe for our kids by blocking explicit material on every single website. You can learn more and subscribe with special rates at canopy.us. And when you use our special discount code, Genesis123 at checkout, you'll get 30 days free and 15% off your subscription forever. Your kids will thank you for life. So in that context, Elliot, do you think anything concrete vis-a-vis Iran came out of this visit? There are rumors of secret deals with Israel, uh, including supply of weapons, including backing on, on, on certain levels. But they're rumors. They're, they have not been made public. They haven't been leaked beyond that. It's early. Remember, the visit just ended a couple of days ago. Um, I, I would give it a little time to leak. The same thing is true in, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Saudis slapped it. Yes. Well, I'm going to come to the Saudis in just a minute. Okay. Um, but look, obviously the Iranian issue is, is central to the Saudis as well. Right. And there, there's a clear quid pro quo. He needs oil and he needs it badly. Yep. So the fact that things aren't being publicized uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they haven't happened. Okay. Uh, I can say that in both the Israeli and the Saudi case, the leaders have not come out sharply negative on the visit. And, and, and here also, I, I saw some of the comments, and I, I, I want to clarify something because it's very important. Our discussion tonight is the Biden visit to Israel. Yes. It is not the Biden administration as a right. whole, right. and it's overall policies vis-a-vis 
Israel, Europe, the world, economics, whatever. And I want to be clear that that those are our, the parameters of our discussion. Sure. Obviously, the others affect it. But when I said when I give them a BB plus, it's on the quality of the visit. Yeah, period. yeah, yeah. I, I understood that, and I'm glad you're. you're I'm uh, not you're sure that everybody, oh, not all the listeners. Okay, fair enough, good enough. By the way, I want to in, interject for a moment. There are a lot of issues we're talking about. I told Elliot earlier today. I was putting together a list of resources, articles. Um, there, there, there's a lot of a lot of material. I mean, we're, we're we're condensing it into about an hour. But if anyone wants to to, to get a list of resources to take time to peruse this week, um, please be in touch with me on an individual basis. Um, let let's let's pivot to uh, to Saudi Arabia. Um, I, I mentioned it a moment ago. It's one of the Tremendous legacies of, of President Obama was the emboldening and his emboldening of Iran was bringing together Israel and the Gulf Arab states and, and, and tangentially to that, the Saudis, um, as well, though they haven't formalized any kind of relationship, uh, with Israel. Now, at the outset of his presidency, it, it seemed that Biden not only seemed to dismiss the whole Abraham Accords because of President Trump, but openly threatened making the Saudis a pariah state. And when, and when he, because of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. Right. Yes. So we're talking about something four years ago, and he campaigned on that. That was not only a uh, that's right. Was not only a administrative administration statement. Now he obviously had to backtrack on that, and some people are saying maybe that's why he did a fist bump instead. We could do a whole conversation about who he did and didn't shake hands with, and right. and, and 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 the faux pas in that. Um, my, my sense, at least, he didn't bow to the Saudi king like uh, like Obama like, did. Like, like Obama did. Now, but now it seems so, he's not only backtracked. He's he's he needs the Saudis as a partner. He understands that the Abraham Accords are not uh, a four letter word because Trump initiated them, and he seems to have a genuine desire to bring Israel and Saudi Arabia closer for all the reasons plus. The oil, right? We need, he needs the oil. He needs the oil soon, ideally before, in order to see a decrease before, before November in the price of gas in the U.S. and the rest of the world. Uh, and, and just to sum up a couple of things that I noticed during his visit while he was here in Israel, it was announced the Saudis were going to allow, um, Israeli planes, commercial planes to fly over Saudi airspace to places like India and Thailand and China and Australia, Australia and other parts of the world, Philippines, if we want to fly to the Philippines, what have you. Um, there's also an interesting agreement in the works re- regarding the turning over of a couple of islands at the southern entrance of the Red Sea, which is which is a, a complicated thing. I don't, I don't want to get into all the details. The Gulf of, the Gulf of Eilat into the, the Red Sea. It, well, yeah, the Gulf of Eilat into the Red Sea, right at the bottom, where where the, where the Egyptians closed yeah, it. Yeah, Tehran, the Straits of Tehran. Straits of Tehran. So Biden flew off to to Saudi Arabia. He gave a fist bump to Mohammed bin Salman. There's uh, the the Crown Prince. What while he was here, what else did you observe that was that was relating and significant to the relationship between Israel and and, and Saudi Arabia or or the significance of, of that relationship? First of all, I think the timing of the Saudi announcement of opening the airspace, which, I'm sorry, let, let me digress for a moment. Okay. The opening of the airspace to Israeli commercial flights is much more symbolic than it is real. Significant. It's significant, 
it takes two hours off the flight time to most of the places that we just mentioned. Correct. And saves gas. So I'm not saying it's insignificant. Right. But it's not cutting flight time in half. It's not I'm, I'm I'm searching for the right word here. Significant, but not not overwhelming. Okay. Okay. Great. Symbolically, it's very important because it means that the Saudis are now allowing Israeli planes to fly over their territory, right. something they've never done before. Correct. At least not not as a regular thing. The announcement was made while Biden was here, Correct. not while Biden was there. Correct. That is interesting. But why why do you think so? Because here again, I think that the Saudis, who are very adept at the game of signals and honor, wanted Biden to be able to get some residual credit for it, but not be able to take credit for it. Excellent. Okay, had, it, had they announced it while he was in Saudi Arabia, it would have been seen as he went there and he put the final sort mm. of mm. tightening of the screw. Good analysis. Okay. Here he's associated with it, but it was in anticipation of his visit, not during his visit to Saudi Arabia. Interesting. Which takes a little bit of the credit off of him. I say a little bit. It's not. It doesn't take it away. And here again, I think. I think they they were playing it very, very sharply. Just just like they greeted him properly, but not in Riyadh, in Jeddah. Yes, that's correct. Okay, and for those who don't get it, that's like an American president meeting a head of state in Baltimore or Baltimore. Okay. Okay, as opposed and not in Washington. Um, it wasn't, no, St. Louis would have, would be too much of a slap. <laughs> not, 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 not because of the, from St. Louis. No, 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 not, not because of the city, because of the distance. Okay. But not, but by the way, but, but other presidents, presidents have greeted foreign dignitaries on their ranch or in their, in their private homes. And that's, private, yes, that's, different. that's something that's else. Different. That's, that's different. That's warm. Yes. That's that is, uh, okay. Baltimore. Fine. Okay. Um, so I think I think they're they're playing it now. How much is American pressure involved in this? Um, I don't think that much. I think it's there. I think that again they're, they're they're playing a certain quid pro quo of we'll do this if you do that and we'll do this if you do that. But to come back to something you said earlier, I think is very important, and and that is. The Iranians are very, very high on their consciousness, whether Iran directly and or the Houthis in Yemen who are constantly firing rockets into yep. Saudi Arabia and drones. Um, the Iranians are expanding their drone fleet, although we keep retiring their <laughs> officer operators um, and sending, sending them to a better place. Um Opening airspace to commercial is not that far from opening airspace to military. Okay. 
That symbolism is also not lost on the Iranians. Well, there was already one known flight, a public flight to uh, both the Bahrain, I think. Yes. No, but the, here, here it's the, the flight to Bahrain was a special event. Okay. This has now become routinized. Okay. Very, very different. Okay. And I think that, once again, the American involvement is there. It's a component, but one of one of the uh, one of the things that, that I firmly believe and I teach is that when somebody is holding a loaded gun to your head, says, "I want to kill you," your decision making is <laughs> simplified, and the Saudis' decision making world is becoming much simpler. Thanks to the Iranians. Okay, so let, let, let me take off on that a second. The Saudis could make peace anytime they want. The Saudis could Correct. normalize relationships anytime they want. There's a, been fabulous uh, analysis as to when they might and what the, what the situation and characteristics right. of the demographics in Saudi Very interesting stuff. But it, but, but it seemed like they were waiting to see what the outcome of the 2020 presidential election would be and what they might get be able to get out of it, coming in That's making the their own deal. And because Biden came in and sort of dismissed for the first year plus the whole Abraham Accords until now, uh, cl- clearly, if they're going to do it, they want to maximize what they get out of it. Of right? course. Because they don't need to have peace with Israel. They can just continue with these symbolic things and continue the secret meetings but what do you think what what are they what are they waiting for what is what's the trigger that joe biden whether whether ben salman said to him with his arm around him on the shoulder listen mr president this is what we need or or, what what is what what's in play it's not clear you know it it could be a future draft choice in other (laughs) words what i'm being serious it's why should they give something away that has value, more value to others than to them? Because let, let, let's understand, the situation as it stands today, they have gained virtually all they need to gain from the relationship with Israel. Yeah. Yeah, and now, by now they can allow, uh, as you alluded, they could allow other military flights to go under the radar, literally or figuratively. Right. Yeah. Okay. They'll get. They've been getting support from us under the table for years. They'll get support from us half under and half over the table. We have technology now that is very important to them uh, concerning anti-missile, anti-rocket, anti-drone technology. Uh, they can get all of that. And they can get it all reasonably openly without opening an embassy in Tel Aviv. They can hold that card, that's why I say future draft choice, for a time that suits them when they want something. Because if they play that card now, they don't have it anymore. Right. So there's Uh, no rush. There's no rush. For them, none whatsoever. And, And for us... It would be nice to have, but the truth is, the practical situation is, is adequate. So then, so then my, my next question may be redundant to what you just said, but, but with Obama now back at home in Washington, you should have said Delaware. Oh, no, no, that would have been a bad example. What, Baltimore? 
Baltimore works. Obama's uh, uh, Biden's back in, in in Washington. Yes. And the question I have is whether he is likely to do more to push Israel and and Saudi Arabia closer to some sort of formalized peace because of missteps with continuing to embolden Iran, or is he going to backtrack from that and actually work to deliver a deal before the presidential election in 2024? Okay, first of all, I'm I'm not going to go that far out on a limb. All right. But I will say that I think that over the next three months, what is going to concern him is runaway inflation, a failing stock market, gas prices that are going through the roof. What concerns the electorate, you've got all the members of the House and a third of the Senate coming up for re-election in how long? Four months? No, less. Uh, three months. Soon. It's coming soon. Three, well, three and a half months. Three, three and a half months. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't shore up the economy, all of this other stuff, okay, nobody really cares. It's icing and, on the cake, but but you you alluded to it. It's not substance that's needed. Look, let, let's put it this way: if inflation breaks ten percent, gas prices continues to go up. Um, get, remember, gas prices are part of the part of fueling of inflation because everything goes up with gas prices. Yes. Uh, the average American really doesn't care if if Israel and the, the Saudis sign a a friendship agreement okay. next month. And I think he's he's mired way too deeply into an economic crunch to really worry very much about what's happening on this side of the world. Sure for enough. better and for better and for worse from our perspective. Because okay. I think that, that, that Iran is also going to go on a back burner for him. Okay. So so excellent. Leads to perhaps the last point, last question. We we've alluded to the Palestinian Authority. I mentioned uh, earlier that both on arrival in Israel and in Bethlehem, when he was meeting with Mahmoud Abbas, Biden affirmed his position for a two-state solution. You you talked about the what that means, but in both instances, he said the timing wasn't right. Now, right. That, that I think that's probably a first for a U.S. president, um, and also also a first not to be coming with arm twisting for Israel to. I mean, there yes. were some concessions that Israel made before. Uh, which was very nice, but but nothing substantial. Correct. Now, that pissed off the Palestinians because yes. they feel, and perhaps correctly, like they're just the, the stepchild here, that they're really not being considered. Um, does I want So my question to you is, despite what seems to be bones being tossed, you can re-define re, re that if you like, um, not including a an Israeli leader at the Augusta Victoria Hospital, not flying an Israeli flag on the limousine and really not paying more than lip service. I think you answered this already, but I'm asking it again anyway in this context. Did, did, did the Palestinian Authority get anything substantial out of this? No. Nothing. The, the couple of hundred million to UNRWA, but that's, that's not, not the real deal. Uh, I think that and again this is this is a whole subject in and of itself maybe maybe for another discussion the palestinians the palestinian leadership 
has overplayed its hand. Ah, okay. And they're facing the consequences of that today. Nobody really cares. They had the opportunity, uh, as Abba Ibn said and Chaim Herzog reiterated, they've never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Correct. And they have simply overplayed it. They, the, the world has moved past them. And they're going to get a bit of lip service from the Americans. They'll get some lip service from the, um, from the Arab world. Right. Even the, um, look, even the Saudis did say they articulated that's what, that's no it. formalization until there's until. a Palestinian state. Right. Which, which is right. lip service. Right. That's what, that's what the Emirates said five years ago. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Um, so they got nothing. They, li- they, they listed, I thought it was kind of unprecedented. I'm not an American historian, but I find it unusual in multiple articles over weeks. We kept reading about Palestinian demands. Right. of the president, uh, which which goes to the overplaying of their hand. You don't, yes. he, he, you like him or don't like him, he's still the president of the United States. It's kind of chutzpah to issue demands before the guys even arrive. Especially when you, when you have nothing. Ah. Uh, you know, the Saudis could make demands. They didn't. Correct. But, uh, you know, because they could turn, you want oil? Here's what what we want in return, but the, the Saudis, the Saudis are too sophisticated for that. The, the Palestinians, I think have completely misplayed it. I don't know. This is for me an open question. Do they understand it or not? <laughs> That's the million okay. dollar question. Uh, in public, they certainly don't understand it. Yeah. Okay. In private, do they understand it? Uh, I don't know. I do know other, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, but I do know that those types of systems, I, t- I talked about the, the weakness, weaknesses of democracy earlier. Uh, and just let's be clear, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the, pre- the, 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 the precept that democracy is the worst system of government except for all the rest. <laughs> um, dictatorships have their own weaknesses built in and we're seeing it with Putin today and we've seen it with others and that is once they get on the track they find it virtually impossible to get off that track yes and i think the palestinians are in the same situation uh abu mazen is in what is 16th year of his four year term four year term right i guess that's four uh, four cubed okay uh, so he can't back down because in those systems, and I'll throw Putin into this mix as well, the retirement plan is usually associated with a nine millimeter bullet. Right. And less oxygen. Much less. <laughs> uh, so you can't back down. You, you have to keep going forward because at least then you can, you can create the, 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 the image that you're making progress, even if it's just by through motion. All right. By the way, Elliot, I want, I want to offline, I want to make it a point, you and I, to pick up this conversation, A, possibly for another one of these public conversations, but I've been thinking about writing it. I think exactly as you said, that they've overplayed their hand, and I, and I, I have some analogies, but we'll, okay. we'll leave that as a, as the cliffhanger for this conversation. Okay. I want to ask Good. one more thing about, uh, regarding the Palestinians. Yes. I, I, I prefer to refer to them as the Palestinian Arabs. 
because I'm a Palestinian Jew, according to my father's right. birth here in okay. 1937. Um, so in Saudi Arabia, Obama did, interestingly, did Biden. publicly, ra- Biden, 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 excuse me, Biden publicly raised the issue of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Right. Done by Saudis alleged to with 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 the crown prince involvement, according at least according to the CIA. And and he got some retort back from uh, from the crown prince on that. Right. Fine. But interestingly, now, granted that Jamal Khashoggi was a journalist and was living in, in America and writing for an American publication, even though he was not an American citizen. Why, why does Obama not come? Obama, I keep saying that Biden, Biden did not come to the Palestinian Authority and say, "Hey, a year ago, you guys killed this guy named Nirza, Nizar Barnat, who was also a harsh critic of your government, and he was murdered by your own security forces." Why the double standard? Why? Why would if if Obama, Obama if Biden is about humanitarian and against authoritarian regimes and having the 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 the, the the, the, the temerity to call the, the Saudis a pariah, very, very outside of U.S. policy for the last several decades. Why not in the PA? Why not say you can't kill your own people like that either? Because double standard is, is what international diplomacy is all about. In other words, if, if you're looking for justice in this business, you're looking in the wrong place. This is politics. It suited America, the the Biden team of America, to ostracize the Saudis. It goes back to the Obama period. And the Palestinians are the darlings. And we can go on and on about the, the use, misuse, and abuse of events, including uh, the the death of, of the, the journalist in, in Janine, Akla, um, where you know, the Americans are still calling for an investigation. Investigation of what? Right, right. Um, but it suits them. It suits the Palestinians. The Palestinians have their advocates. And here I, here, here I want to come back to something I, I started with. Biden, with everything they did, is still the head of the Democratic Party, and a significant portion of that party is anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian. And I start with anti-Israel, because you can be pro-Palestinian and not be anti-Israel. Well said. Okay. Well said. And, And he has to take that into account as well. He can't reject them. Very good. So... I, I see that as well, not, not to justify it and not to whitewash it, but I think that analyzing, we, here we have to understand that he's playing also to a domestic audience. Now, whether he fully agrees, doesn't fully agree, I don't know what's going on, you know. Okay, okay. Um, but it's certainly, it's certainly part of the party line. The Palestinians are the good guys, the Saudis are the bad guys. Got it. Okay. Except the Saudis have oil and the Palestinians don't. All right. Very well said. Okay. I want to, uh, one question just on one, on one final topic. We've already, the, the upcoming Israeli elections. I think you summarized really well 
that at least in, at least in the short term, the midterm elections are going to be about those economic factors that that Americans really care about. And, and anything else is at best window dressing. Uh, and, and it's hard to imagine a whole lot coming out of of this visit now in the next three months is going to shake up anything in the American election. But but a few days before the American election, we're having our fifth election, national election in Israel in five years. What do you think, not not what's going to be the outcome, but what how did Biden's visit impact how that election is going to be played out or seen here domestically? I, I don't think it had a huge impact because I think that here, everybody is spinning it to suit themselves. In other words, Lapid is spinning it, and I, I'm not commenting here on whether the spin is, is accurate, Justin. inaccurate, okay. justified, okay? okay. Lapid is spinning it that he's the prime minister, and he met with the president, and he, he stated what he stated, and he wasn't afraid to state, and so on. The, the Likud is making him look like some lapdog of Biden, and he that you know, that he didn't stand up to Biden on things like the flag on the limousine or not being accompanied by Israeli officials in in East Jerusalem. Uh, anybody who's who has a position is with very very little sort of flux in in between has already determined that this visit has been either good for their guy or bad for the other guy. Um, so I think its overall impact is, is, is going to be minimal. And as I said, I think that Biden, in this case, played it reasonably well by meeting with Netanyahu, uh, not blatantly playing one party versus the other, yeah. Had he had he done that, I think it would have played into the hands of partisan politics. Excellent. Excellent. Well said. If you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. This year, each month, the Genesis 123 Foundation is offering you a special gift. Each month, we'll be giving away a special volume from Jonathan's bookshelf. Please go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. When you comment, and share the link to this program there, we will select one winner at random. This month, we're offering a very special copy relating to Israel's history, and we're, and we're looking forward to uh, being able to share that with you publicly. We're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're in the area and want to stop in and thank them for helping make programs like this possible, I know that would be a blessing. And also thank you to the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges. This episode is sponsored by Priscilla Flory, whose, whose love and support and friendship knows no bounds. And we're so grateful for, uh, for her being a sponsor of this week's program. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this program with others 
who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversation about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.